Thought Leaders, a closer look for the curious. Good morning. My name is Valerie McTaggart. I, I am a lecturer and the head of department in the business studies in Sligo. Um, this morning, I'm going to be joined by Sarah Stone McDevitt. And Sarah is going to speak a little bit about being a working parent. Um, Sarah has a very senior position in HubSpot. But I'll like, uh, let Sarah describe to you what she does and how her busy life and how she uh, balances work and life. So good morning, Sarah. Good morning, Valerie. Thanks for having me. Thank you so much. So, Sarah, would you like to tell the listeners a little bit about yourself and your background and uh, what you do? Yeah, sure. So um, I am, uh, I'm going to say originally from Sligo. Um, I was an implant there when I was uh, probably about two. So I'm going to claim definitely um, from the Sligo area um, and uh, went to the went to the Mercy in Sligo. Um, and actually during transition year in the Mercy, we um, got involved in radio broadcasting and that kind of sparked, I suppose, uh, uh, a desire to get into um, media. Um, and I, I went on then to um, study in Ballyfermot College, which I, I think a lot of people kind of know about from a, from a broadcasting and animation point of view. Um, and then I, I guess, you know, um, as part of that, I did advertising and thought that I was going to go down the route of documentary radio broadcasting. That was kind of the vision. Um, but quite honestly, uh, realized quite early, there's no money in that. There's no money in it. So um, it wasn't necessarily for me. Um, and through kind of a, a, a colleague um, in a, a classmate, uh, ended up in creative advertising for a number of years. So doing, um, making the ads. Um, and again, uh, I, I've always been very fortunate, I think, and kind of landed on my feet. I, I got an opportunity to go into media buying and planning. And uh, I did that for many years. So I was probably in advertising and, and media for about 16 years. Um, and, you know, throughout that or quite early on, unbelievably, maybe for some of, of, of your viewers, this thing called the Internet took off um, and people felt that it wasn't really going to last and we weren't going to really advertise on it. And it would probably be something that, you know, emails would happen on, but not a, not a whole lot else. Um, but it did take off. And I was very fortunate to be involved in the kind of early days of uh, Internet advertising. Um, and I was very fortunate there and, and kind of grew my career in the digital space for uh, quite a while. Um, and then as, as you know, maybe some people relate to, um, I got married and uh, we started a family. And when I was on maternity leave, I had a lot of time to think. And I think this is something maybe a lot of women can relate to. You, you start to think about what's important to you. You, you kind of start to think about, I only have so much energy now to, for things that really matter. And, and kind of where do I focus that energy? So I came back and, you know, I'd been working for a, a great company and they were very supportive. But um, I was ready for something new and I was ready for a different opportunity. Um, and as luck would have it, um, I was invited to speak on a panel about parents in tech. Uh, and at the time, I thought this was hilarious because I was still on maternity leave. Um, so I didn't know what it was like to be a working parent. Um, and I didn't actually work in tech. But um, I went along to the panel and on that panel, there was a very, um, a very smart lady called Colleen O'Sullivan. And she had some great things to say. And I thought, what an interesting character. I would love to get her point of view on what what of my skills are transferable. Um, and she, uh, I reached out to her on LinkedIn and she agreed to meet me for coffee. And, you know, we had a chat for a while um, about what skills I had. And she said, you know, you could, <clears throat> you could apply for a job in HubSpot. And I was like, HubSpot? I don't even know what that is. What, what's HubSpot? Um, and started to learn more about the company um, and understanding what they did. 
um, and interviewed there and was very, very fortunate to, to get into HubSpot when, when I did. Um, and in HubSpot, I've done a few jobs. Um, I actually celebrated my third anniversary in HubSpot two days ago, so I can't even believe that time has flown. Um, but when I initially joined, I was heading up the partner program and the onboarding team for um, EMEA, so, um, you know, the European um, Middle East and African markets, um, and did that for, for about 18 months um, as a senior manager. And then during the pandemic, it was an interesting time because leadership was starting to shift on a global scale. So the idea that leadership had to be in head office anymore, I think kind of changed. Um, and I was a, a beneficiary of that for sure. Um, and an opportunity came up to head up the global professional services team at HubSpot. Uh, and that's where I am today. Um, and what HubSpot does is HubSpot is a software product that helps, what it's most known for is helping companies to automate their marketing interactions. But we have a couple of, of different, uh, what we call hubs, which is our products. And my role and my team's role is to really help our customers get the best use out of that purchase. So, you know, we've all been there where we buy something, we don't read the instructions and we use it for the one thing that we, we thought we used it for, but we don't ever look into the other settings, right? So my team's job is really to sit down with customers, understand like how they could be using it more, how they could be using it to, you know, make processes within their business faster and more efficient. Um, and we do that across a, a couple of different um, services. And, and that's really what I do today is, is, is helping HubSpot customers kind of see maximum value for their purchase. Okay, very um, interesting job. I suppose that there's two things I I, I will um, themes I will follow. First of all, going back to work and doing a massive career change while on maternity leave. That's a really brave move as a working parent. Um, how did you find the going back to work, Sarah? So I, I, I and it's interesting actually because I'm 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 back three months from from having our third child, and it's been a very different experience this time. So. You know, I did go back to my old job after that um, maternity leave, but kind of knowing in my heart that I wanted a change, right? Mm -hmm. But also, I think feeling, and, and again, I don't know if a lot of women feel this, but feeling like a sense of, not that they made me feel this way, but feeling a sense of to repay a debt, right? So that I'd been on maternity leave, they'd support me on that. Um, and I needed to come back and like give back some time for that. So I'm, and I'm sure that's a, something a lot of women kind of can understand. Um, but ultimately as well, I think if 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 you embrace it, you understand that during maternity leave and becoming a parent, you actually develop a ton more skills that you can never really practice in the professional world, right? So things around time management, things around multitasking, uh, you know, negotiation, dealing with uh, deadlines and things like that in, in a kind of more real world thing. So, so I think actually a lot of people come back from maternity leave very enriched in terms of skills and it's then helping them understand that and it's something I'd come to terms with is the old you is dead. The old you died the day that you had that child. The new you is a different version of you, um, but it's a better version of you because it kind of cuts away the things that are not important, helps you to kind of build skills that you know you can really bring into the real world. Um, and for me, I was pretty confident I wanted the change. As I said, I kind of had decided where I wanted to spend my energy and what I wanted to learn but also understanding that I still had as much ambition as I had before I had children. And um, I wanted to be fulfilled and enriched because I personally believe that if you're fulfilled and enriched in what you do and you're successful what you do, that translates in your interactions with your children. So it's not 
I don't think it's a terrible thing to find that kind of satisfaction for yourself because I think your children see that and in, in reflect their interactions with you. So for me, it was um, it wasn't that big a risk. I um, I felt like it was the it was the right thing for me to do at the time. I, I just resonate. Everything you said there resonated with me as a working mom, a working parent. It's that thing of really wanting to go back to work, um, but trying to, you know, feel that you owe a debt. And I worked as a part time um, worker for many years. Um, and it was you're trying to be a full time parent and a full time worker, even though you're in as a part time. And I think lots of working um, parents, working moms, and we've got lots of working moms who leave the workforce because when children come along. So um, in the context of organizations as helping parents, um, I suppose I was quite surprised this week when, you know, the remote working, can you work remotely, Sarah? I can't, yeah, yeah, yeah. So at, so at HubSpot, the way we view the world is that provided we have a office entity in that region, obviously from legal point of view, employment contracts and all those benefits and things like that, all jobs are remote. Um, so you can work anywhere. Uh, you want and I think like to be honest with you people would say that maybe you know HubSpot I think has been a real leader in this people would have said that before the pandemic but there would have been an element of I'm not sure I believe them when they say that if I'm not in the office will I get passed over for promotions will I not be connected to the team will I miss out on the culture and then of course the pandemic happened and we had to kind of build cultures and give people comfort in that virtual world um, and I think it's something they've done really really well um, because the benefits of remote working, I think we've seen, right, which is people are actually more productive, right? And I think this idea of, you know, they're sitting there watching Netflix is completely untrue. Um, people are way more productive. Uh, people are happy. Um, and people, I think, also understand that you can't solve for every situation in a remote environment, right? So there is obviously some, there's benefits to being remote, right? But there's also benefits to going to the office and you kind of understand which one you're choosing. Um, but another thing that, you know, I think HubSpot have done really well is moving away from the idea that benefits are a physical thing in a bricks and mortar office. Benefits are something that should be accessible to people wherever they are um, and, we see that with, you know, HubSpot parents, they support us taking the children to the zoo maybe once a quarter or going to Tato Park or they organize that. That's not reliant to me coming into the office or free coffee. It's something that adds a ton of value to my family's life, but I don't need to be in an office to enjoy it. HubSpot seem appear like a really progressive, forward thinking organization that maybe many of us should be working towards. Would would you have to been at the cutting edge for a long time in relation to this kind of positioning at work yeah like I mean I remember doing an interview maybe two years ago before the pandemic and talking about some of these things and it feeling like wow like what this new age thing that people can work remotely and, and be successful and teams can be managed um and something we would have always you know asked the question of managers in HubSpot is how do you manage a remote team member because um you know it's 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 important to understand how you manage them, how you include them, how you kind of make sure communication is strong and key. So it's absolutely not a new concept for us, um, but every employee chooses their path, right? So you choose whether you want to be in the office, you choose whether you want to be remote, or you choose whether you want a mix of the two so that the company can kind of facilitate that from an, a, a, you know, an infrastructure point of view, I guess, with desks and office space and all that. 
But um, yeah, HubSpot is absolutely forward thinking in, in this respect. And do you think, um, because your wife works remotely as well, so that obviously has a huge um, benefit. You've got three small kids. Um, that flexibility that affords you, you know, there's um, a greater work-life balance. And also, I think sometimes with remote work, and it's the, you know, there's not as many cars on the road. You know, there's not mm -hmm. as much damage to the environment. I think um, something that, so do you think this uh, flexibility has really supported you spending more time with your family? Yeah, I, you know, I, I say there's obviously like the personal benefits of remote working, which I think are so important. So you're absolutely right. Uh, if I log off a meeting, my commute is, you know, 30 seconds down the stairs. Right. So um, you know, often I can hear them screaming at the bottom of trying to get past the child gate uh, to get up to me. Um, but yeah, there's obviously that benefit where we don't have the commute now. For me personally, that's been a bit of a loss as well, because, you know, the commission time gave me a little bit of headspace. I listened to music. I could think about nothing. Um, it was it was a bit of a disconnect for me. So I've had to find new ways to have a bit of mindfulness, I guess, for my own personal self. So there is huge family benefits. But for me as well, um, you know, we haven't obviously benefited or not benefited, but we haven't chosen this path because of, of kind of family and where we want to be. But there's huge economic benefits, um, particularly with rural Ireland, that there's the opportunity. And many people decided during the pandemic that they would buy houses or move outside Dublin to benefit from cheaper rent, better, you know, many people move to the coast around a better, um, you know, style of living. But there's obviously a huge impact then in those villages around like the local economy, money coming into it. Um, I think the government really need to sort out obviously the broadband issues so we can really flex on that. Um, but I think there is major economic benefits, not and, and also for employers, right? Do you want to be paying for a lot of office space in Dublin um, where you're paying high rents? Or do you want to lean into the fact that a little bit of capital investment around like office setup and things like that is actually a very beneficial solution to your company um, in terms of, you know, overhead and things like that. I, there's so many things I couldn't agree more with. So, so you, on a separate note, well, there's two more things as well, really. You're involved in a lot of charities and you set up your own charity. Yeah. Um, so around the time I left college, I guess like the, the kind of background to this is that I have two uncles who are priests, right? Um, and I'm not an overly religious person myself, but I have a huge amount of respect for the dedication they put into their lives in terms of what they did. And one of them was a missionary in uh, Brazil for like 20 years. And as a kid, I used to always be so inspired by him when he'd come home and he'd talk about kind of like some of the things they were working on. So it was always an ambition for me as I grew up. I was like, oh, when I'm old enough, I'm going to do something because I can. And I think I'm a great believer that you can do anything. You just have to do it right. Um, you have to like and it's a small thing, you know, whatever it is, it's a small thing. So when I left college, I, I spent maybe like six months a year volunteering um, in an NGO and I organized con fundraising concerts around Ireland and I learned a lot about it. But um, I kind of kept asking myself, what can a girl that has a degree in media really offer to the developing world? Um, and I got the opportunity to travel to Kenya um, at that time for a very short amount of time. And it was a bringing the kids to the beach and that was lovely and everything, but it wasn't really a true reflection of their daily lives. Um, and, you know, it can be it can feel good to be like this Westerner who comes over and goes, I've given the kids, you know, a holiday for the week. But you're not really like understanding long term impact. So after that trip, I kind of connected with um, the woman who was running the child uh, resource center where these children come from. 
Um, and I started going directly to that resource center, working with the children, working on projects around that are more sustainable, right? Because, and also learning that, you know, we, we can sometimes think we know the answer because we think we're so like advanced and developed in this world. We're actually, what, you know, people in the developing world need is not our necessarily our advice, what they need is our shoulders to stand on so that we can kind of lift them up and support their ideas. And I've learned a ton over the years around, you know, uh, what's a good crop? Uh, you know, you can't just buy a cow. You need to insure it. You need to make sure that it's healthy and pay, you know, vet and things like that, because, you know, you can make a capital investment and your investment can die. Um, so we've had great success around, you know, animal programs around giving one cow to three people, having the cow calf, then one gets a calf, they have the cow calf again, another person gets a calf. So again, like that kind of community-based sustainability um, and also around, you know, crops, the right crops to grow. Um, but every year we send a huge amount of these children to school because uh, I often think on the ad when people go, you know, send a send a kid to school for five euro a month and people are like, yeah, that's just a general fund that's going into, it doesn't directly impact a child directly. Whereas I've seen the face of these children who don't get to go to school if they don't have the money. So, um, you know, we, we, we send or we spend about 30,000 euro a year um, sending kids to primary school, secondary school. And uh, the school fees, obviously the, the materials to go to school and, you know, basic things like their uniforms and bus fare and all that kind of stuff we build into it. So I'm very happy to say that when I started going, you know, we had kids that were three um and showing my age now they're you know graduated from college but we have teachers we have engineers uh you know we have business owners um and anytime i i unfortunately the pandemic i used to go to africa every year to kind of oversee some of the projects but unfortunately because the pandemic i haven't been able to do that um but we've been very fortunate to have uh the lady who runs the organization she was actually in ireland just before the pandemic started um, but we continue to do that. We've been very lucky with our corporate sponsors. We've had great support from, you know, McDonald's over the years, giving us money and, and, and you know, uh, large corporate sponsors. So we've been able, even in the pandemic, to leverage some of those connections to continue the work because, you know, grassroots fundraising has obviously been been very difficult in this time. We'd, we'd rely on the small, you know, the table quizzes and things like that. But um we're very fortunate that we have a lot of people who are deeply invested, who have gone and experienced the work that we do, and they understand how there's no middleman. Uh, you give a fiver, the kids get a fiver. And even though I don't necessarily enjoy the administration that goes with running a charity when you're doing it yourself, um, it's still all worth it. And how many ch uh, children have availed? So you've, they've graduated now. Have they come back to, to give back to the charity, Sarah? They will, yeah, it's a great question, actually. There's a great, there's a great sense of, um, I think, shared kind of responsibility and for the building of the community. So a lot of the kids that get jobs will give a part of their salary back to educate the kids coming behind them, which is just incredible when you think about it um, in the context of the world we live in. Um, but literally hundreds of children have gone through the program over the years. And um, if I died in the morning, it would probably be one of the things I'd be reflect on my life most and be very proud of i just think it's inspiring and the way you say that they stand you know we go over and we try and impose almost our western beliefs but we're not we don't understand it from their perspective like we don't know what it's like but it's to to help them to to build that themselves is really mm -hmm. 
incredibly important um, and very inspiring, Sarah. Um, so in the context of this global environment that we're working in, and as you said, fundraising has, has absolutely disseminated because of the pandemic and that local piece in relation to fundraising for charities. Is there anything we can do, because we see all these advertisements on the TV, any, anything we could do or you could suggest that we could support people who are less fortunate in ourselves, whatever their walks of life are? Mm -hmm. uh, well, I think the thing is, right, I think over the last couple of years, there's been a good amount of distrust in the charity sector, if I'm totally honest. We've had some scandals. Um, I think people have become more aware around, you know, if people are advertising how much of my money is actually getting to the grassroots stuff. So charity, I think, has some work to do um, to restore trust, I would say, um, is, is important. I think, you know, the greatest thing for us, I think, has been to tell our story and be transparent around the way we spend money. Um, but also from my point of view, I'm not trying to save the world. And I'm not trying to get any bigger because that's where the problem starts when you try to get bigger. My philosophy is keep it small, keep it impactful and invest the money where there's the greatest opportunity for groundswell in the local community rather than what I can do. Because I always say to we bring volunteers over every year. Um, you know, literally we've we've had hundreds of volunteers go over and I always like to remind them you're not here because you're in any way useful. You're here because I want you to see this. I want you to experience it. Um, we obviously make them make a direct donation um, that goes direct, which is obviously more useful than them is my point. But it's the experience and the progress that they see and meeting these people and understanding the model around supporting local people to build their own world. They come back and tell those stories. And that for us has been the greatest fundraising asset that we have is our volunteers and ambassadors who tell our story um, and they tell the story of the people on the ground. They're the people who continue to help us um, fundraise and get that support, not fancy advertisements or, you know, it's about making it relatable and understanding um, that it does have real impact. If you can support a child, that child will become a teacher and their um, experience is something that they can teach, you know, the class sizes over there are something interesting. You go in and there's like 90 kids in one room and you could hear a pin drop. Um, so this is the other thing, I, you know, I think around the privilege of education that we don't quite understand is, you know, education might be something we suffer or perceive to suffer as children here. Whereas those kids look at education as the kind of what they bank for the future and how they how they improve their lives so it's just an entirely different mindset um and you know it's inspiring to to see how they you know you'd have 25 kids under one light bulb in the dark trying to do their homework um and their aspirations are just as big as kids here they are just as big the only difference is the opportunity that they will have to fulfill those dreams versus the kids here um and that's why, you know, for me, I know I get more out of it than they do because they just enrich my life. And, um, you know, it's I've been very privileged actually to, to experience some of their stories. And just finally, Sarah, because you do an awful lot of work, uh, work on equal rights for all citizens in the country. So just just to finally tell the listeners about all the really um, incredible work you've been doing for many, many years. Well, I suppose. Um, 
sometimes in life when we don't have something that drives us into uh, trying to get rights. We're maybe, you know, again, not always aware of the benefits we have compared to others until we're faced with the fact we don't have them, right? Um, and in my case, um, I married my wife in 2015. We campaigned for a long time to um, have marriage equality and the referendum was a very difficult time. Um, but I think it was a trans transformational time in terms of Irish society and acceptance. So I almost feel like we had to have that referendum to change hearts and minds about people in general, how, how people see, you know, the LGBTQ plus community. Um, and everyone thought everything was sorted. Um, and uh, in fact, I would say a lot of people in the community thought everything was sorted until they realized that actually we can't or couldn't have children and be treated equally to other families. So that kind of, my mission started when I was heavily pregnant, going around explaining, um, you know, very importantly, while we don't want to claim that we are anyone's father, understanding that there is another person who wants to take parental responsibility for a child and raise them, raise them in the home. So our first two kids, um, I had Lachlan, so my wife was a legal stranger to him, and that was difficult. He was sick. Uh, he was in Temple Street at one point for like a week, and uh, she couldn't be his his next of kin. She's a legal stranger to him, so I had to be there all the time. And then when Grayson was born, then I had to experience that as well, where I was a legal stranger to him. But in the midst of the pandemic, thankfully, after a lot of campaigning, protesting, doing a lot of work on the ground, um, we one day in a bedroom here in Dublin on Zoom, we met a judge um, and we were uh, finally the judge. I remember it was a very emotional day. We all thought we were going to be big girls about it. But when the judge said, I don't see any reason why you can't, you know, um, have legal responsibility for the children you're raising. Um, we, we both started crying uncontrollably and we said to the judge, oh, my God, we're so sorry. Although I will say that day, we also discovered that giving him a double barrel name with a middle name was very difficult when you're reading legal documentation because it goes on for quite some time. But the judge just said it was such a joyful day because normally in family court, you're dealing with quite harsh issues. But this was a day of, of, of extreme joy. And thankfully, Willow, our third child, was born and she was registered without any um, need to go to court. So we continue to campaign though because obviously that the change in that law affected us and we're we're very grateful it did but there is still an awful lot of lgbt plus families who do not have rights um gay dads being the biggest group um they have no rights um so we continue to campaign around that and uh just recently the thing i'm kind of heavily involved is around surrogacy because obviously that impacts gay dads but it also impacts a ton of women who are uh, impacted by everything from infertility to um, even the cervical um, check scandal in terms of the impact that has had on their lives and their ability to have children. So I think it's important that people understand that family creation in you know 2022 is not the same as it was or certainly years ago, the way people viewed it. Um, and we need to be progressive and think about how we can best protect those families moving forward and, and that's why I guess I'll continue to be involved in that uh, until we, everyone is equal or every child is, is equal in the eyes of the law. I say I just can't imagine what it would be to stand outside the door of a hospital and not be able to go in and see your child. It, you know, I'm so delighted that all the work that you and all, many others have done have 
certainly resolved one of many, many issues that continue. Sarah, I could talk to you all day. I do know you're very busy and you're at work. So um, from us here in IT Sligo, um, we want to thank you so, so much. Um, you're an inspiration to working parents, to women, to everybody, all the work and the fabulous things that you're doing. So I wish you continued success. Thank you very much, Sarah. Thank Bye. you, Valerie. Thanks for having me. Thought Leaders, a closer look for the curious.